Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gives us true joy, lasting peace, real hope. Dear Christian friends, this time of year, advertisers, more than any other time of year, want to make sure that you are listening and that their messaging is crystal clear. They want to make sure you know exactly what their product is, exactly what their product does, exactly what the sale price is, because they want your attention. Now, some advertising campaigns, they don't change much from year to year. I could have told you back in June what Lexus's advertising campaign was going to be, because I don't think it's changed in 10 years. It looks like this. It's a December to remember. And someday, just maybe someday, you'll find a beautiful gleaming Lexus sitting in your driveway with a red bow on top. But maybe not. Some advertisers, though, they change their message from year to year or maybe even within the season. Some of them because they they didn't quite get the messaging right. Sometimes because people didn't, didn't really get what their message was. And so they want to connect with your eyes and your ears. They want you to listen I'm guessing that's what this company will be doing next year. You can't really see it, but you can see the name Peloton. Because if you've heard any of the hubbub in the news, you've seen any of the headlines, you know that their messaging missed this year. God has a message as well that he especially wants us to hear this time of year. He wants us to hear it year-round, but particularly as we wait for Jesus. He wants us to hear his message, to not just hear it, though, to listen to be actively engaged in his word. And he's got a, a really important message. It's very simple. It's very clear. But it's a message that we might think God's advertising campaign could use a little work. Because there are a whole bunch of things in the section of the Bible that we're going to look at that seem almost like they're guaranteed to not bring people, to not draw people in. But that's exactly what God does through his word. So let's listen to Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn 
and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, the first reason that these words, this message from God, might sound like strange, that God's marketing method might sound like it was missing the point a little bit, is, well, if you want people to to get the message, you probably want to send out more than one person, right? You want to send out a whole, whole team of messengers, a whole slew of messaging campaigns, because to our way of thinking, quantity is really what it's all about just as presidential candidates. It's why Mike Bloomberg has thrown his hat into the ring for two weeks and has already spent $60 million in TV ads because that's a lot of quantity and he wants to get in front of you. He wants you to know about him, right? The second reason that this God's marketing method seems a little strange is if you look where John is. John didn't go into the cities where the people were. He didn't go to find them. He was out in the middle of nowhere, in that rugged and and rough, deserted terrain where nobody was. And the third, I mean, just look at the guy, right? He wore clothes made out of camel's hair and a a leather belt. And, And this isn't like the fine camel hair coat with a, a fine, high-end leather belt. This is, this is primitive. This, these are animal skins, rough, nothing special, nothing fancy, nothing nice even about them, except that, that all of this, the, the location and the clothing was very, very reminiscent and connective with the prophet Elijah, the greatest prophet God had ever sent to his people. And that was the purpose. God wanted his people to connect John with Elijah. How God had sent Elijah with a message for his people and God had also sent John with a message for his people because he wanted his people to listen. But what God wanted them to listen to is maybe the part of this that's the most strange. Because to our ears, John's message seems like it's guaranteed to not bring people. I mean, his message was really simple, right? It could be summed up in one word. Repent! Or repent. And in our politically correct age where you need like an entire team of lawyers to vet any public messaging to make sure that you don't offend anyone, well, John's message was pretty much guaranteed to offend everyone. And yet what's crazy is the people came to see this strange guy with a primitive diet and and simple clothes out in the middle of nowhere, and people came. They came from all over the place. They came from the big city, Jerusalem. They came from the entire region. They came in small groups. They came in large crowds, and they came to hear his message, to listen to to what he was saying, all to hear the words, repent. Does that seem strange to you? And if so, I want you to think about why. Why are you here today? Why do you come to church? What do you want from Jesus? 
Because if you came here, if you want Jesus, somebody who's just going to pat you on the back and tell you, keep going, I'll make everything good. Just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, don't worry about those mistakes. It's no big deal. Well, you've come to the wrong place, and you've actually turned to the wrong God. If you're looking for someone to just sugarcoat things, to give you the placebo, right? Because that's really what it is. To have somebody who just, just tells you, oh, it's okay, everything will be all right, and just a pat on the back. Well, it's like going to the doctor when you desperately need medicine for treatment. And instead of giving you the medicine that doesn't taste good but saves your life, they give you candy, which tastes really good for just a few seconds, but does you absolutely nothing. Because that's the danger, right? Of having somebody who, who just gives you something that tastes good, something that feels good for the moment, but doesn't actually give you what you need. John, he didn't sugarcoat the truth. He didn't hand out candy or placebos. He was clear in his message. Repent. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He told them what they actually needed. He talked about life the way it, the way it really is. And his message was simple. Repent. Because they needed it. And so do we. Because that message is just as relevant today, 2,000 years later, as it was back in John's day out in that deserted wilderness. When we talk about life the way it is, well, it's actually really simple. And it's our first takeaway this morning. The way life really is, Well, that means that I need to hear the word repent every day because my life fails to meet God's perfect standard. We know that. We maybe don't like it. We certainly don't like to admit it because that's why we try to spray a little of the the air freshener of good works, right? We try to to make ourselves look good to cover up the stink of our lies. The the stench of our our sins, our selfishness. Well, we just try to pass that off, right? That's somebody else's fault. We divert attention. We blame others. And after a while, we maybe even don't even smell it. We don't smell our sin because our own pride has, has plugged up our nostrils. And that's when we need to listen to that simple message. Repent. Let me put it this way, the way that John actually described it. Have you ever had a a route, a path that you took every day? Maybe it was to work, maybe it was to school, maybe it was to the store. and, And it was like, this is the most direct route. This is the easiest way to get there from point A to point B. And all of a sudden, there's some road construction. And that route is no longer an option. And you have to to go out of your way. This longer route, a a less simple, a less easy way. And the first few days, maybe in the first couple of weeks, every day you make that turn, you don't blow your breath. It's going to add two minutes to my drive. It's not that much farther, but it's not the simplest and it's not the shortest. But over time... What happens? Well, the grumbling becomes less and less, and pretty soon the turn becomes automatic. 
And what had been a detour has now become the norm. It becomes just second nature. See, God has, has laid out this smooth and, and beautiful highway through life that he wants you and I to walk on through this journey that we call life. The problem is that, well, we don't stay on that path very well, do we? We like to take detours. And we zig here and we zag there. And, and we, we find all these ways to do what we want in our way instead of just this simple and beautiful and easy way that God has laid out for us. We find all these detours, and then because we don't like to hear our conscience tell us, you did that, that's wrong, and it's dangerous, well, we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. And over and over. And over time, we stop hearing the voice in our head. We stop hearing our conscience tell us that's wrong. And pretty soon, that sinful detour that's dangerous to our soul well, that's just become automatic. That's just our norm. That's just what we do. And that's why we need the words repent. That's why we need to listen when we hear that word because it's the exact opposite of sugarcoating. It's the exact opposite of excusing or, or blaming on others or finding exceptions to the rule. We are masters at all those things and God wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to Repent. Because when you feel guilt, when you've veered off the path, when you've taken a detour and you, you feel that burden of guilt weighing on you, what's the temptation? Well, we want to make ourselves feel better, right? So we figure out who can that, whose fault is that really because it can't be mine. Ah, it's okay. It's just one time. That's no big deal. We try to do anything and everything we can to make ourselves feel better, to, to alleviate the burden of guilt. But here's the thing, if you don't actually deal with it, you can make yourself feel better for a short period of time. You can even make yourself feel self-righteous for a short period of time. But if you don't actually deal with that guilt, it's not gone. It's still there, and it's going to come back. And it's only going to be worse. Because now it's compounded with the fact that I've blamed others, that I've pretended it wasn't a big deal, that it's that time has made this a bigger and bigger and bigger thing, and I feel this load of guilt weighing on me. Think of those people that went out to see John and listened to him in the wilderness. Think of the parents who, were, who felt the, their failures, the children who, who knew of their rebellion, the employees who were burdened by the laziness at the expense of their employers, the gossiper that had hurt their friend, the man who had lost his temper with his loved ones. They knew that their detours were bad and that they were dangerous, not just for their earthly relationships, but for their soul. And so they went out to John. And think if John had just said, oh, it's, you know what, it's, it's okay. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Well, that might be good for, like, a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe even a few hours. But that detour isn't erased. The sin isn't gone. The guilt is still there. And John didn't have people coming out to him just to give them a placebo, just to give them a sugar pill. 
and leave them without any kind of real peace. No, he, he had them coming out to him so that he could give them real, lasting joy and peace, right? Because that's what we heard God say, didn't we, in Romans 15 before? The God of all hope gives you true joy and lasting peace as you trust in him. That's what God wants for you. And that's why John would connect people to their Savior. That's why John would point them time and time again and call them to repent. Now that's kind of a, a word that's a, a tricky word. We really don't use it much in today's world. It's got some weird connotations and baggage to it. So for our, our takeaways this morning, we're going to break it down just a little bit into what repent does and does not mean. Okay? So our second takeaway is repent doesn't mean repent doesn't mean to pretend that sin isn't real. As the people came out to John, he could have just poo-pooed it and ah, it's no big deal. It's, it's not really a thing. No, it is. And we all struggle with it. Everybody deals with it. So let's talk about it. Let's not pretend it's not real. Let's not try to hide it and bury it and minimize it. Let's just acknowledge that it is real, that it is a problem, and let's deal with it. That's what repent means. Not, not pretend it isn't real. And repent doesn't mean to cover over your failures with short-term band-aids. The excusing, the blaming, the minimizing, the hiding, the burying, the stuffing. That's not what repent is. Instead, what repent does mean is to recognize my sin. I see what I did, and instead of, oh, it's not my fault. No, it is. I messed up. I sinned. I, that was wrong. To be sorry for it. And to trust in Jesus who forgives it. And repent also means that I abandon my self-made detours. All those things that I that I know I've gone off God's path and I, they become automatic. They become second, second nature. They become my norm. God says, straighten out those paths, right? That was John's message. Prepare the highway for him to get rid of those self-made detours, to recognize and admit to both myself and to God what they are and to trust that Jesus' blood covers over them. That's what it means to Repent. And here's why. Here's the blessing that God promises, the blessings that God promises when we repent. The blessings of repentance that you and I don't have to live in and with the guilt of my failings. That guilt, Jesus paid for it. All of our sins were piled on him on the cross. There is no more guilt in him. It's all been washed away. The blessings of repentance are that we don't live in daily regret anymore. The waking up and just reliving and regretting again and again and again and again and again. When I take it to God and I say, Lord, forgive me, he doesn't say, okay, but... Instead, what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished, done, gone, completely eliminated from your record forever. And so the haunting regrets, God says, 
I've wiped them from your record. They are gone. Don't relive them and don't live in them. And the third blessing of repentance? Real hope, true joy, and lasting peace in the forgiveness that's won by Jesus. So you don't have to worry about your, your status or wonder what your relationship with God is. Because in Jesus, through repentance, I am God's child, and of that I am certain. I am going to heaven, and of that I am certain. Because that baby in the manger, that king that's coming back, that's my God, my Lord, my Savior, and yours as well. The people that came out to John, they, they recognized this. They recognized John had something to offer that they wanted, that they needed. And so they came to him listening, right? Listening to his message. The message of repentance. And the Bible tells us that they received just that, right? Confessing their sins, they were baptized in the Jordan River. John heard them come in repentance and washed them with water and the word for the forgiveness of their sins and the sacrament of baptism. What an amazing gift God gives. But notice, there were some people that John didn't give that gift to, that John didn't baptize. They were a part of that Jewish leadership that came to him. And, and while we might think these would be the most logical, the most natural people that, that should be baptized, I mean, they were... They were the church leaders, right? They were good-looking people, not attractive outwardly, but their lives just oozed good. They were the goody-two-shoes. They were the upright, upstanding people of the community. Why wouldn't he baptize them? Well, John actually didn't sugarcoat the word to them either, did he? Instead, he called them, did you catch it, a brood of vipers? See what John was really calling them? They understood. He was calling them children of the devil. Ooh. That's some strong words right there. For a bunch of church leaders to be called children of the devil, why would John do that? Well, it's because they weren't coming for the message of repent. They were coming because everybody else was. They were coming because if that's what people are doing, then that's what, what would look good. They were coming to put on a show, to give an outward sense of repentance. But John wanted them instead, God wanted them to listen to his word, to see their, their pride, their self-righteousness, the, the bitterness and selfishness in their hearts, how they thought they were better than others, they thought they were good with God all because of themselves, instead of broken and lost sinners. And that's why John spoke to them just like he spoke to the guilt-ridden people. And he pointed them to their need for a Savior. That's maybe the, the last strange thing in all of these, not the way that we would normally do it. Because advertisers today, they, they want you to think that this today, right now, Black Friday, whatever Cyber Monday, whatever day we're on now, that this is the best deal you're ever going to see, you should buy today, right? There's nothing better. This is as low as it's going to go. Deepest discount. 
They want you to think that this product today is the best product. Their thing, their store, it's the best. You should buy from us. You should get this. But John, for all of the crowds that came streaming out into this middle-of-nowhere secluded wilderness, he pointed every single one of them, whether they were guilt-ridden or pride-filled, he pointed them all to Jesus. And that brings us to our last takeaway. That's because repentance always points me to Jesus. The message of repent It always, always, always points you and me to our Savior who came for us. Now, the idea of confessing our failures to someone, the idea of relying on someone else, those are tough, tough messages to swallow, aren't they? Because we have sinful pride in us that says, oh no, I can fix this. No, I'm not really that bad. No, if I just, nobody else knows about this, I can hide it. But you can't. And so don't listen to your sinful pride. Instead, listen to John. Because when you listen to John, you're listening to God. And God wants you to have real hope, true joy, lasting peace in Jesus. And so listen to John. Listen to God because that's what he always gives to you in his word. And so this Advent season, as you wait for Jesus, listen to him. Amen.